Hello and welcome to episode two of the German New Medicine podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today's topic, I want to talk about experience and how experience really is the best teacher when it comes to understanding and applying the new paradigm of German New Medicine. So last time, oh, and Dr. Stephen Robinstock is here with me today again, too. Hello. Last time we talked about how there are different paradigms that you are probably coming into this information with a certain paradigm, certain beliefs, certain background. And how do you approach a new, a new paradigm, a new understanding of how the body works? Do you just take it on faith, on face value and say, oh, okay, I trust these people. I'm going to go ahead and believe them or believe Dr. Hammer and just believe what they say and put all my eggs in that basket. Um, but the cool thing about German New Medicine and what we recommend you do with this material is to watch it. Once you have the understanding to watch it at play in your life. And today I wanted to share with you some of the kind of conflicts that we have experienced that have, has helped to deepen our understanding of the new medicine and I tell you every single time I speak with someone and explain the five biological laws and we start to see it at play in their life because a lot of people end up coming to me for for help for making these connections and when you see it again and again and again that experience starts to inform your belief system and it becomes undeniable that there is something going on and there's something there with the five biological laws, that it's not just a, like an interesting idea, that it's not just, um, okay, yeah, emotions affect the body. It's that there's a very specific thing that's taking place. It's kind of interesting for me too. I mean, because I can remember when you first embarked on this thing, it, I remember, I mean, my attitude was it was sort of like neutral to sort of semi-negative, only, oh, not because of what it was, but because we were so kind of like neck deep in projects and things that we were doing already that it was just like, ah, this seems like we're opening a door to something <laughs> that's going to take a ton of our attention and we're right on the cusp of a whole bunch of like the ever better stuff and, you know, the other projects that we had going. And so it was interesting for me. I mean, you were just enthusiastic about it from the very beginning, you know, um, and so I'm, this is kind of a funny thing talking about personal experience. The fact that I have been surprised by consistencies between my experience and this material, between what sort of German New Medicine would predict, you know what I'm saying? Um, I've been more surprised by my own experiences, right? Because, I mean, for you, you're so interested in it. it would, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that you're seeing relevancies and connections in your life. Um, not to say that it isn't true, but just to say that, you know, when you become interested in something, when you're passionate about something, when you're enthusiastic about something, when, you know, you become psychologically invested in it to a degree, even if you're trying to remain objective, if you're really interested in a thing, that's going to shape your perception. It's going to shape your experiences. And there's this the whole, I think it's Procrustean bed. Do you know what I'm saying? It's this idea that you, you basically... You buy into an idea and you pretty much chop up reality so that it will fit into that idea the way you want it to. Um, for me, I really had no psychological investment in Germany medicine whatsoever. I, I, I mean, honestly, when you first got into it, I kind of assumed that it would be something that was really interesting to you for a while. And then after a while, it would sort of become aspects of it would become incorporated into your understanding of health and healing. But I didn't necessarily think this is going to be a real paradigm shifter for you. You know what I'm saying? And 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 so I kind of had that. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't. Well, I wasn't adamant that was true. But I, I sort of assumed that that was going to be the case. And so it was really interesting to me when I found myself surprised by consistencies in my experience. And I remember you would be telling me things, and I would kind of be responding largely as like a polite partner, right? Who's interested in what you're interested in because you're interested in it. And I'd say. Oh, that's very interesting. I can see where that would be true. And, you know, I'm also thinking I can also see where that would not be true or where there'd be another explanation. But then there, there have been over the past year and a half or whatever it's been a number of instances where you haven't been talking to me about German New Medicine and we've been driving along and, you know, I make a connection in my own mind about something. And I just really, I don't think that I'm wanting to confirm to myself that German New Medicine <laughs> is true. I, I don't think, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't think I have some sort of ulterior motivation in all of that because I've got... I've got my own stuff I'm doing. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm not looking for some kind of a, a new paradigm in health and healing. And so it's really weird 
when these things happen in a way that makes perfect sense. And I think we'll talk about some of the ones we've had between us, like mm-hmm. they're, they're like oh, like really interesting um, in your face uh, examples of. And and the other thing about this too, I want to say too, is that. These are things that I noticed. I don't know all that much about German New Medicine. I mean, I, I know about the philosophy. I know about the principles of it. I'm not really 100% familiar with the tracks and with the specific embryological connections and all of that stuff. I get the big idea. The small details, I'm not an expert in at this point, I don't think. And there were things that I noticed in my body, say, um, that I, I didn't know what the psychological conflict would be or what the biological conflict would be, the psychological experience. And so I had no way of like, oh, uh, it's time for this to hurt because this is going on. Or, mm. you know, yeah, there, there was none of that going on. There was, there, I mean, I was very surprised to find these things out. And I think this will make a little bit more sense as we kind of get into some of our specific examples. Yeah, so just a GNM in a nutshell reminder is that everything that we call disease Everything is either a tissue adaptation or a tissue restoration process that was initiated by a biological conflict shock. You may have noticed that uh, Steve uh, differentiated between psychological and biological because the biological conflict shock is something that caught you off guard. Psychological conflicts, we have a measure of being able to prepare ourselves, have an expectation that something's going to happen. Even if you have even just a few moments notice, that is enough to not trigger a biological conflict shock. But it's either a big thing, it could be a small thing, a word, something said to you offhand, um, a situation that caught you off guard, that you were not prepared for. And that lack of preparation caused your body to trigger a biological special program course and changes to specific tissues. There's certain adaptations that are being made at the tissue level, and every single biological special program has a biological purpose. And that biological purpose, it's suited to that specific tissue, but overall it's for maximum survival capability. And so that's kind of the the basic thing that's going on is that everything that we think of, and this is apart from overt injuries so if you get hurt that's not a biological conflict like traumas that's, right like yeah. things are obviously induced from outside the one thing that you mentioned um you said tissue adaptation or tissue restoration now tissue restoration that's mostly going to be right restoring after an adaptation right yes. for the most part okay and then the other thing is that distinction between psychological and biological and i was just kind of thinking in my mind like what's a what's a meaningful reference point for that and i think that um you can you can tell me how you know legitimate this is that there are things psychologically that we can control. There are things that we can do. I, th- I think that there, there are things, and then the, your, the biological things are something shocks you. It pretty much bypasses your, I mean, it, let's say it hits a threshold um, of, of kind of psychological impact beyond which the uh, more primitive area of the brain is responding to it. And there's not necessarily things in that moment that you can consciously do to change the fact that that just happened. There may be things that you can do over time to make yourself less susceptible to experiencing the biological conflict shock, right? So your brain in a moment or your mind in a moment cannot not have a conflict shock. But what what can happen is that you can kind of condition yourself to change the mental, right, the neurological environment into which input is coming, life events are occurring, and that can change how you're responding to it. And I was thinking about kind of like an example about, we know, what will be something of that. And let's say that you have an overdraft on your bank account and there's a charge that you get hit with. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? There's a certain threshold that happens, or, or, or maybe you have a bill that's late or something like that, and you get hit with a late fee. Once the late fee happens, you can't pay any amount of money to make the late fee go away. Mm. I mean, you can do something about the late fee. You can pay money to, you know, to pay the fee, but you can't unring that bell. Right. You can do things before the late fee happens to prevent it happening. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and, and you can do things um, that are short-term. So for example, oh man, I'm about to, about, about to overdraft here. Let me put five bucks in my account, right, short-term. And there's also things that you can do over over a long period of time, changing kind of the fundamental dynamics and nature of your bank account, right? That that make it much more. You'd have to have a much larger debit mm. to get that overdraft fee. Right. You'd have to have a much larger trauma to get that. And I mean, I think that in theory, there's no limit to that. That we could get ourselves to the point where we really don't experience um, these kind of almost kind of archaic biological shocks anymore. And mm-hmm. so that's just a couple of things that. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing about about prevention in this model. What does that look like? It looks like 
raising your threshold for Mm -hmm. what you are able to handle. But at the same time, you aren't going to want to eliminate your your body's ability to adapt no matter what, because there will always be unforeseen circumstances. You're in the park holding your child's hand and and a rabid dog comes up. You want to, you want your body to respond immediately and activate and adapt whatever tissues necessary for your maximum survival in that scenario. And so really it's these um, these complex things that we tend to perseverate on to you know keep active far beyond their actual immediate use which is really the long-term kind of major problem that we we come across so for um, example like if you, if you if that happened and your body responded and then and then afterwards you kept imagining that event so vividly that the tissues kept responding to it you know mm-hmm. things, you had such a psychological fixation on that right. event because of how profound it was it's almost like the it's almost like the psychological like the the prefrontal cortex or like the part of the thinking brain the rational brain almost wants to take over um, the executive job and wants to keep you know creating this vivid experience of it right and that's the problem right because it's like ongoing communication thing exactly um, yeah so back to the the nutshell explanation um, it's something that goes on in your life that causes the tissues to adapt. And I did want to just mention the exceptions because I do think these are worthwhile to talk about. So the exceptions would be uh, an overt trauma, an actual injury to tissue, um, also poisoning. Mm. So if your body is poisoned, then and there's an actual substance in your body that's causing things to go wrong, that is different than a biological program adaptation. And then also um, deficiencies. So you can still have overt nutritional deficiencies that will result in in symptoms of sickness um, that do need to be addressed independently. Um, And so that's uh, just a couple of things I think are worth noting. So foreign foreign objects, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but... Everything, you know, all things being equal as far as there's no injury, there's no poisoning, and your nutritional status is pretty pretty good. Um, any other symptoms that arise, there is a biological reason that they're there. They're not random. Uh, your body's not attacking itself. That's I want to do a whole podcast just on the concept of the immune system and how Dr. Hammer, in you know, in his work, has found that the concept that we have of the immune system being this defense system that's uh, that's trying to eat up and get rid of microbes and viruses that that understanding is misguided because the body works in harmony with microbes. And so that's just another interesting side point. It's more of a janitor than a military kind of person. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a support system, he says, not a defense system. Oh, maybe custodian. Mm-hmm. So in GNM, and this is something that Dr. Hammer says, is that it requires the patient's understanding of what's going on in their body. You must discover the root cause of your conflict and understand its connection to your disease. So your understanding is paramount. It's not going to be something where you get a prescription to do this, this, and this. It is, do you understand the connection? Are you seeing the connection between your conflict shocks and the adaptations of your tissues? And so, again, it's all great in theory until you actually get to connect the dots. And so the first um, experience I had of connecting the dots was a terrible sore throat. And this was such an interesting situation. I was just, I I was so excited to actually to have made a connection um, that the sore throat didn't even bother me, although it was quite severe. (laughs) Um, I was in a situation where I was at people, a, a person's house and they were making food and I was offered some food and I took some and I took a bite of it and I realized as soon as it was in my mouth <clears throat> that I did not want to swallow it. I did not want to swallow it. I wanted to spit it out, but to not be rude, to not make a scene. Why didn't you want to swallow it? I didn't like it. I didn't like the texture. It was a meatball. It was a meatball, but I thought it was like a homemade like freshly made meatball, but it seemed to have the texture of like a frozen meatball, which, you know, processed meat just grosses me out. So um, I, I, I went ahead and I swallowed it and there was another meatball and I went ahead and swallowed that one too. And I was, it, I hated it. I didn't, I didn't want to chew it. And I just I kind of- I knew this. I know you ate a second one? There were two in the I bowl, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, okay. um, and so, and so once I, I swallowed it, later on that evening, I started to get a tingle in my throat. And over the next few days, I had a full on what you could consider like a strep throat 
scenario. My throat was sore, it was swollen, I was coughing, there was phlegm, it was just, and the biological program that I experienced that got set off in that moment that I realized that I bit into this meatball and was like, I do not want to swallow this. I had a conflict that affects the upper two thirds of the esophagus lining. And so the esophagus lining is lined with um, epithelial tissue. And the epithelial tissue is controlled from the cortex. Um, and so the ectoderm, ectodermal mucosa lining of the upper two thirds of the esophagus, in that moment, they began to erode. And so it was widening the space because this thing I didn't want to swallow, it either needs to get down or come all the way back up. And so the body in its wisdom erodes the lining of the throat to widen the space for whatever needs to come in or out in that moment. And as soon as the conflict is over, which was basically once I swallowed it down, once I kind of like got over the fact that I'm just going to swallow these things and get it over with, that whole time, however, the body was making an adaptation to the tissue of my throat lining. And then what happened after I resolved the conflict was the tissue had to be restored. And so the body did a process and once that process was completed, the biological program, the body's going to restore the tissue. And that was when I started experiencing the symptoms, the swelling in my throat, the um, coughing up mucus, because there's it's a construction site. There's going to be swelling. There's going to be pain. There's going to be soreness. There's going to be exudate and stuff coming up because there's a healing process taking place. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. I was like, you know, this meatball situation gave me a sore throat that if I had gone to like the medical doctor, they would have swabbed the back of my throat, tried to see if I had, you know, strep in my throat and probably would have given me an antibiotic or something because the thinking there is, oh, these bacteria are now taking over your throat and and that's just not the case at all whatsoever. So just to unpack this a little bit, because I remember the first time I heard the story, I was, it, it was, it seemed kind of far-fetched. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I did. I mean, it, it was like, okay, well, it's, it sounds like um, something happened and you, you were almost so excited about it because it was some data. It was a personal experience. I was very suspicious because I was like, you know, I mean, I don't think that you were even able to assess this objectively. But the interesting thing is, so let's look, in, look, look into the, the significance of it because the more you understand, for me, it was about understanding what genome is actually saying. Because when, the more you understand what is actually being suggested, and the more you think about um, individual pockets of information or understanding that you have about evolution, about biology, about human health, whatever, um, the more the connections begin to become clear. The more the, the more plausible it begins to seem. And so, one of the big things for me is that is the salience, the, the significance of what we will call at the humanistic level, the you know the level of us as human beings, as individuals, the, the we that we experience ourselves to be, the significance of experience and the significance of perception and the significance of what I call what it is like to be you in a moment in time. And if, you, if you've ever been in one of those moments where you're eating something and you realize something's amiss, maybe there's a hair in it, maybe there's a texture you didn't expect, maybe you bit off literally more than you could chew, maybe you, you kind of, and it, it's not like, a, oh, I swallowed and it went down the wrong tube kind of thing. It's like you suddenly are basically revolted, right, by something mm. that you're eating, something that is in your mouth slash back of mouth slash upper throat. And you suddenly realize, I don't want this in my mouth. And like, if you were by yourself, what you would do is literally you would spit it out on the ground. Um, but you're surrounded by people who perhaps you're friends with, or perhaps you're not very well acquainted with. And so that's even more pressure. And there's like this, like, oh shit, like, what? Do, and there, I, I know you, you probably, if you're listening to this, if you've ever had one of those experiences, you know, in that moment, it's a moment of crisis. I mean, there's a crisis there um, that. It, that is, it, it's quite unique and it's actually quite extreme and it's quite profound. And in that second, I mean, the second after that extreme second, it's just sort of like you get over it and move on. But in that moment, your experience is one of acute anxiety, acute, I don't know what to do because you're mortified by the food and then you're mortified by what you almost did with the food, spit it out or whatever. And so there's this mortification factor. Yeah. Um, there's this uncertainty factor. There is this feeling of, I, I, this is tough to swallow, but I just have to do it. And, and I mean, like, oh, I can't believe, why did I have to put this in my, why did I have to start this whole thing? Now I've committed, I've got to go all in. And the thing for me that's so interesting about this and that's so significant is that 
if you're thinking of yourself as a human being, right, and that's all you ever think of yourself as is from that like psychological level, the you that you experience yourself to be, it's like, what's the big deal? So what? It was an uncomfortable situation, but what difference does that make? Why would my body then manifest or respond in a way that I could misconstrue as a, a disease process or as a sickness process or whatever? The thing, though, for me that's so interesting is if I start thinking about the why, as it, why did this biological, this organism that's me, why do I have the capacity to experience revulsion, to experience, oh, I don't want this in my throat, I don't want this in my mouth, I don't want this going in my body, oh, I'm disgusted by this, let me expel this. Why is it that an organism would be capable of having that experience, right? And, and, and that's kind of a weird question. I don't know, hopefully that question makes sense to you because I've spent kind of a lot of time thinking about this and the question has really kind of refined itself. What is it? Why do I, as an organism, not as the me I experience myself to be, but as a sort of, you know, selected for um, organism uh, who's just out and about here in the world, why do I have the ability to feel the way I'm feeling? Why do I have the ability to experience the things that I experience? Why do I have the capacity to experience dis- disgust? And... Basically, what are the what are the biological consequences of feeling that way? In what because here's a big thing: uh, experience is a communication to the body. Um, your capacity to have the feelings that you do um, exists because, in some way or another, it's relaying information to your bodily tissues, right? And that's mm-hmm. this whole idea that we are, in one sense, a signal detection system for we are basically the communication department of our body for interacting with the external environment. And so when you find yourself in this, I mean, and think about that in terms of extreme anguish or extreme sadness or extreme loss or extreme anger or extreme fear, all of those different things, I mean, they constitute significant communications to the body. They are, they are you know, the, the way we experience it, it's the psychological level of what the neurological level or the, the, you know, just the pure signal detection level, the physical detection of light waves, sound waves, you know, tactile sensations. Is, is, is an interface between the external world and the internal world of the body. And it's like what you're experiencing as personal crises are at other levels, significant exchanges of information mm-hmm. between the outside world and the inside world. Mm-hmm. And so then we come back and we think about you and your kind of like, oh, shit, I don't want to eat this moment, right, with the meatball. Um, what kind of a communication was that to the body, right? Um, and, and then when you ask yourself that question, it starts, it starts to make a lot more sense. It start, it seems strange at first to think you'd get a sore throat on, you know, it didn't burn you. It wasn't that it caused a physical abrasion. It's that your psychological slash biological experience of ingesting or think, or, you know, sort of contemplating whether you're going to ingest this thing or not, um, that triggered something in the body Mm -hmm. not the physical presence but the experience of the physical presence of the stuff and that the body responded to that that seems very strange at first until you start thinking about the fact that it's quite odd that you had a capacity to feel the way that you did it it's it's quite odd we have a capacity to feel any way at all Mm -hmm. um and then we have to explain what's the role of feeling what's the role of experiencing what's the role of perceiving in from 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 kind of an organismic perspective at the level of us as or not even human beings, right? Not even animals, but as organisms that are kind of floating around out here trying to stay alive. Um, then it seems strange to think that the body would not be responding to the experiences that we were having. And that something as intense, right? And as acute as that, like, I don't want to swallow this, that that would not constitute some kind of meaningful communication to the body that we get a response. And I think one thing about it too is that the communication needn't go on for a very long time at all because the body, I mean, the the amount of time that an experience needs to occur in order for the body to respond to it is like zero, right? It's not that it has to go on and on and on and on and on. It's like, it's more about intensity. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, you know, if you're listening to this, but I have extremely intense emotions occasionally that last a fraction of a second. Right. And psychologically, it's like no big deal to me, but... If it's if it's going back to the the analogy of the four, if it's a, if it's an overdraft, I mean, it doesn't matter if I was overdrafted for 0.08 seconds and then money went in. Mm. There's an overdraft or there's not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a bodily response and there's not. And when you start thinking about it in that way, it it it, it is at least plausible. It's you know it's it becomes biologically plausible. There are mechanisms biologically that would allow this thing to make sense. Mm-hmm. And then I think you start maybe doing what we're going to talk about either next or in a minute, which is this: this you then kind of begin to 
experience your experiences with these things in mind. Mm-hmm. And that's when things really become pretty interesting. Yeah. And so that was that was huge for me. Another experience that I had that was just made so much sense and was so enlightening because I had dealt with on and off acne, zits and breakouts. I mean, since my teenage years and I had always attributed it to nutrition and that it was nutritionally based and that, you know, any time I, I had in, in my mind that there were certain foods that caused me to break out, certain oils that I would consume that caused me to break out, and that it was absolutely those oils and that I needed to eat a certain amount of sauerkraut, take a certain amount of probiotics and keep my system at this certain level in order to not have a breakout. But even when my nutrition was great, even when I had been doing all of the things I knew to do, I still would get the occasional breakout. And I and I have to say that there there was a cognitive dissonance in that when I felt like, damn, I'm, I feel like I'm doing everything right. Why do I still have this problem? And that was, that was the era of the mystery oil. Where was the mystery oil, right? Yes, we because Steve had the same problem too, is that we were both convinced that if we ever had a breakout, that we had eaten some kind of canola oil or vegetable oil, some kind of inflammatory processed oil that we had decided this causes problems, this is bad. If we eat out at a restaurant, we have to ask for them to, you know, cook our food in butter or some other kind of oil if they have it or even bring our own so that we can avoid um, being exposed to bad oil. That's why we never really eat out. Just but no hermits, that was the yeah. solution. <laughs> but the explanation from the GNM point of view uh, made so much sense. Acne, according to the science of GNM, is a reaction in the dermis. And it is a response to a conflict of either feeling attacked or feeling soiled. And this one I find very interesting. And I have a whole tutorial specifically on the dermis if you're interested in all of the details and seeing images of like the area of the brain that's affected. So it's an older tissue that controls the dermis. And so it's controlled from the cerebellar mesoderm. We'll do a podcast just about the different brain levels because, again, you need to understand this. I know I start saying terms or things that you don't know about. Some people may just tune out and say, oh, well, that's not for me to know. But it really is for you to know. You are the person having the experience. You've got these parts in your body for you to understand how they're functioning and their relevance is is a pretty important and cool thing and will help you to really connect with whatever it is you have going on. So the old part of the mesoderm, the difference... So, so when, you, when you say mesoderm, what we're talking about, like a type of tissue. The right? so type of tissue. Genres of tissue. Mm-hmm. Right? So your body's made up of these different types of tissue and they have what different embryological origins. They, they grow out of like different, like you ever seen like, a, like a, an embryo or, or like the really early stage... Um, uh, human development things they, they sort of look like an alien you know mm-hmm. what I mean and there are these different folds and there are these different um, basically they're almost like um, I was kind of thinking of like in video games there's like spawn points you know what I'm <laughs> saying and there's like there's a couple there's like two or three that are that 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 are distinct and unique and it's one of the earliest so in your existence as an organism these different dermal layer or these different germ layers um, were one of the earliest meaningful distinctions in the different stuff that made you up, right? Yes. And so a lot of things in your body right now, and the interesting thing about these these germ layers to me is the fact that a lot of the things um, in your body that may not seem related, um, parts of your body that seem very far away from each other, parts of your body that don't necessarily appear to serve a similar function, they will oftentimes share a connection in the form of the germ layer from which they originate, right? And so that's really what we're talking about here is we're talking about kind of like we can talk about your arm or your leg or your stomach or your lungs. We're actually talking about a layer um, smaller than that. Um, and we're talking about these, these categories of tissue, right, that go into making up the visible parts of the body that we normally think of as anatomy. So Exactly. And that, yeah, that's actually a very relevant conversation to have that will help you to understand this. But you can kind of get the basic idea just that there's different tissues. They respond in different ways. So we talked about the tissue lining of the esophagus of that area of the throat. The way it responds is by tissue erosion. Now, the mesoderm, this particular type of tissue that controls the deeper layers of your skin responds with tissue proliferation, so additional tissue. 
And so this is the difference, like we talked about last time, between, say, a bone cancer where the bone erodes and a breast cancer where you have a, an addition, additional cells of the breast gland. And so the reason those are different is because they derive from different germ layer, different tissue originally. So with acne, what it is, it's a feeling of soiling or feeling attacked on the face and the body, it essentially builds up a little shield of proliferation of additional cells. That's the best way to think about it. Depending on the area, you can also have moles, so melanomas, different moles that form on the body. Those are also areas that either felt soiled or felt attacked. And these tissue cells are meant as a protection. They evolved at a time where it was really important to build up additional cells to protect you from attack, some type of attack or some type of foreign object that gets on you. And so when I started to realize, huh, I've got so many weird things that are me feeling soiled or feeling attacked in some way, I would, I would be very weird about, um, like I wasn't, I didn't have like a phobia of bacteria, but I really hated for my hands or someone else's hands to be like not just freshly washed. And if they touched my face, I'd say I'd freak out and say, oh, I'm going to get a break out there because I, I perceived myself as having sensitive skin and that even just a touch of something would cause a breakout. And so that is very much either, I'd say a little bit of both, feeling attacked, like don't touch my face, and, mm. and or feeling soiled of, oh, you probably had something on your hand. And then inevitably, I would always get a break out there. And so that reinforced my belief that people shouldn't touch my face, I shouldn't touch my face. If I accidentally touched my face without washing my hands or if my dog licked my face, I, I would have all of these kind of like, just that split split second feeling of uh, dirtiness. <laughs> and again, I think the thing about that too is to recognize that Melissa's psychology and your psychology and my psychology is not separate from our biology. That 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 it's growing out of the same pot, so to speak. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like the the the, the psychological. It, there, it's a difference of logical levels. And so my thing is that if at the psychological level you're having this experience of oh, don't touch, you know. What does that look like in terms of tissue activity at at, at uh, a tissue level? What's happening there? Is there I mean, is there anything going on? Is there is it is it possible to have sort of a psychological experience that doesn't meet the threshold or the criteria to elicit any kind of tissue level response? Um, if if that's not possible, you know, is the tissue responding to every psychological experience you have, or are some of them just like, oh, okay, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's not fine, something happened, respond. Um, you know what I mean? What what are the significances there? And again, it seems weird to think, why would the body respond with acne because your dog licked you in the face? And it's like, well, consider the fact that your your capacity to experience that in whatever way that you do has a kind of a, a, a correlate at the tissue level that your psychology, your experience of what it's like to be you is an outgrowth of, is a manifestation of this organismic activity that's going on and so every for everything that goes on that you're aware of right there are levels that are going on kind of beneath that that are in a sense none of your business um, unless there's something that you're doing at your level that's causing things to happen at lower levels or other levels that, that you don't want to be having you know mm -hmm. that you don't want to have going on if the ceo for example of a company lives on the 100th floor and he is doing things he doesn't realize he's doing that's causing the people who are down in the boiler room to I don't know, mess with the thermostat or something, make it swelteringly hot. You know, it would be it would behoove the CEO to understand what he was doing to communicate to the boiler room people to make it so uncomfortable in the building. The building is your body. The CEO is the you you experience yourself to be. The people in the boiler room are your tissues, right? And so figuring out how your experience, how your perception, how your thinking is tending to influence you. And I think another one of those things too is even that distinction between the psychological and the biological shocks or conflicts is that a lot of people, I think, prime themselves for these biological shocks by, by consciously or by unconsciously, but with the, with the things they're doing with their conscious mind, going around in phrenic states of, of anxiety or near anxiety or bubbling right under the surface. They keep themselves so primed to be pushed over threshold by little things that happen that they're constantly in a state that predisposes them to that kind of biological, you know, threshold, the, the overdraft, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying, the tissue response. And so that's just such an interesting thing to me. The fact that like you, when you start thinking about what it's like to be you in terms of what does that look like biologically, mm -hmm. you know, and it must look like something because if what it's like to be you, if your feelings and your experiences didn't have a biological significance, 
there wouldn't be a what it's like to be you. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have a capacity to feel some way if feeling that way did not elicit from your body some relevant response that is intended at least to, you know, increase your chances of surviving. Yeah. And that's that's a, that's a, that's a very interesting way to start thinking. Mm-hmm. And so by the time that you have the breakout, the body's in the healing process. And so whatever conflict happened, whether it was eating something, touching something, even, and and we didn't mention this before with the swallowing scenario, it doesn't even have to be a physical thing that happens. And that's the interesting thing about being a human with this cerebral cortex where we have all of these complex thoughts and we think about things that you can feel attacked by someone just by words. It doesn't have to be that someone slapped you in the face, that you actually had some kind of injury or, you know, someone touched you. It could just be that feeling of feeling attacked, of feeling dirty, feeling soiled. It could be that you didn't want to swallow a situation, that maybe you said something and then you had to eat your words. These things can be very symbolic. So it doesn't have to be an actual chunk of food. It doesn't have to be actually someone touching you. It could be simply the experience that is analogous to the actual physical experience. You know, it's like when you when you make a picture, I've heard this said that when you make an internal image of something, that if it's far away or if it's bright or if it's in the distance or, or near up, um, near close to you, that your pupils actually will, will respond in response to that, that, that you can actually change that by the pictures that you make. And so that's just an idea about like, if you imagine vividly, and so here's another thing too, I mean, the brain, the, the what it's like to be you is the signal detection system designed to assist the body in successfully navigating external reality, the physical world, potential dangers, potential survival things. I think what has happened though is that what has been selected for is a capacity for cognition, for thinking, that has become so powerful um, that we have the ability to create realities inside our mind that are such convincing facsimiles or representations that it, it elicits from the body responses that, um, that would be the same as if, you know, a tiger were chasing us, but it's our boss saying, hey, you know, you did a terrible job on this report or someone touching your face. And because of the fact that you have the ability to imagine you know, you see the oil going in your sebaceous gland, and you see mass, you know, <laughs> that that like, I mean, you you know, you know this that you can you can evoke from yourself intense experiences, mm-hmm. and if experience is what it feels like to communicate things to your body, that's a really significant thing. And so, I think again, you can see this is a very biologically plausible thing that that um, natural selection or what you know that that it would be um, advantageous to get this brain that was better and better and better and better capable or better and better able to to interact with the external environment, to have a more complex signal detection system, you know, a home security device that could detect ever more, um, you know, minute disturbances in the perimeter of the home. But, you know, eventually what happens is you get the device that goes off when the wind blows too much or when the when the branch scratches up against the thing or when you get up out of bed in the middle of the night to go walk around you set off the own alarm, is that, like, we've got a mind now, we've got a capacity for experience and perception now that is so... Um, sensitive, like one, right, and idiosyncratic, right, uh, and also extremely, uh, really powerful. Um, we create realities inside our mind to which our body responds. You can raise your cortisol levels by thinking about stressful events. You can, you can, you know, uh, raise your heart rate. You can raise your pulse rate. You can give yourself butterflies by thinking about things. And if you're eliciting obvious responses from your body in that way, doesn't it seem naive to think that you might not be eliciting sort of um, less obvious responses? It's not that that doesn't require. That was my thing. As I was, I was, I was perpetually because on the one hand, what Gene is saying is such a such a radical thing, and in some ways, such a crazy thing. It's it so flies in the face. And what I mean by that is it's so antithetical to a lot of givens that we've all grown up around in terms of health. But then when you realize really what it's actually saying. And you think about, again, like you said, stuff that just makes sense. And the interesting thing about this is that the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. And the more, in fact, you kind of know about biology and things like that without being entrenched in what you know, um, the more plausible. I'm continually surprised by how plausible this stuff is. And even like this metaphorical stuff, like stuff that's hard to swallow. Like uh, at first I was kind of like, uh, you know... That's a little too much for me. I just I can, I can get a lot of it, but that's but then I had to start thinking about the fact. Wait a minute. Why does this kind of metaphorical language make so much sense to us as human beings? We're organisms. Our psychology, our our sort of artistic expression, that 
at least the capacity for all of that um, is it has a biological substrate. I mean, it's made out of stuff that's physical and stuff that was selected for in natural environments, or at least wasn't selected against. Do you know what I'm saying? And so if there is some, you know, uh, capacity to feel some way, if there's some propensity to communicate in some way, um, it's not at all um, implausible that that might have a biological consequence. And it's really not that surprising that it would be easily overlooked by human beings who study biology. Because there is this tendency to, you know, when you're in the lab, you study lab stuff, and then when you, you, know, you get out of the lab, you're done with your job, then you go to the theater. And you don't necessarily think about theater stuff in, in the lab, and you don't necessarily think about lab stuff in the theater. You know what I'm saying? Mm. There's that separation that goes on there, that you're a scientist in the lab and you're a, just a person when you're outside the lab, and, the, and that failure to kind of make those connections. And psychology's not studying this. Psychology stays in its little realm for the most part. Um, and biologists, they don't, you know, they just observe what happens at the level of biology. The people on the third floor are not talking to the people on the 100th floor or the 75th floor for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm continually surprised by how plausible all this is seeming to me as we continue to go on. Yeah, the connections just, they deepen as you, as you experience them and as you start to see so many examples in, in your own body and, you know, in what's going on with other people. Um, so, so those are two big ones, the, the throat, the skin, and then this one <laughs> was big for both of us, which is the shoulder pain. And so if you've ever experienced mystery shoulder pain and working, you know, practicing full-time for, in chiropractic for three years, and then even before that when I was an intern, and people come in to the chiropractic office all the time with absolute just mystery shoulder pain. I didn't have an injury. <clears throat> I didn't do anything. I cannot think of a thing that I possibly did to the shoulder, but it just is killing me, doc. What can you do? Help me, help me, help me. And I mean, I would try to, you know, come up with answers and we pretty much had to chalk it up to you probably slept on it wrong because it's a mystery time of night. <laughs> you don't know if you slept on that shoulder or not. We just yeah. kind of assume I must have slept on my shoulder wrong. And so it's going to hurt for three or four days. You a know, demon must have come in the night and, and hit you on the <laughs> shoulder with a hammer. I mean, that's about the same kind of like, you know, you can't you can't prove it didn't happen. Exactly. Um, and so, I mean, that answer was never really satisfying to me. It was just kind of like. You must have done something you're not telling me about or I don't know what happened if you're like, you know, lying or making this up that you didn't hurt yourself. But I'm sorry, I don't really have an answer for you. But and there's about 30 patients waiting to come in here. So I don't <laughs> have time to ferret out the truth. Right. Is that kind of like, unfortunately? Yeah. But um, but the GNM explanation for shoulder pain in absence of an actual physical injury is fascinating. And so it has to do with a self-devaluation conflict, as do all muscles, bones, joints, connective tissue, and lymphatic system. They're all controlled from a newer brain area of the mesoderm. So we talked about old mesoderm, cerebellar mesoderm, with the underlayer of the skin, with the bones and joints and tissue ligaments, has to do with the cerebral mesoderm. And so there's kind of an old version and then the new version. The new version in the conflict active state of a self-devaluation conflict, the shoulder is associated with your partner. And if it's your <laughs> and if it's your dominant hand side, that's going to be your significant other, perhaps some other type of relationship. There is a crossover correlation that Dr. Hammer discovered that's absolutely amazing, has to do with your handedness, with uh, certain conflicts will affect certain sides depending on which, you know, your dominant hand is, which has to do with your very first cell division, which is really, really cool. And this is not is not always correlated with your hand that you write with. This is kind of your true biological handedness. And the way that Dr. Hammer has people discover that is with the clapping test. So for you, there will be one side that just feels more natural to clap with. So for me, my right hand is on top. When I clap, that means I am right-handed. And so what that signifies is that my right side will be associated with significant others, partners, friends, people who are not my mother or my child. Because for a right-handed person, your left side 
is associated with your mother or your children because a right-handed woman will carry her baby. So biologically, she associates her baby with her left side because she carries her baby on her left side. So her right hand is free. Her dominant hand is free to do other things. And so this has to do with sides of breast cancer development. It has to do with sides of involvement of certain muscles, bones, tissues. Um, and so there can also be localized conflicts, which has to do with the actual region that's being affected as far as a self-devaluation. And then there are also conflicts that have to do with a person in your life. And so that's a little bit detailed. We can talk more about that later. But the thing that we noticed was when we get into, we call it a tiff, <laughs> an argument, a contentious conversation. I call it a fight when it's happening. It's a yeah. tiff in retrospect. Yeah. You know, a tiff is kind of cute and oh, ha, ha, we that, you know, but it's not a tiff when it's happening. It's a fight when it's yeah. happening. So when it's happening, um, there's a measure of self-devaluation. And so that self-devaluation is either, you know, some combination of feeling devalued by your partner, you feeling like they let you down, or uh, feeling like you let them down. Something having to do with just your your self-esteem, your self-worth in regards to your significant other for a dominant side shoulder problem. And so this was just, I mean, really fascinating because we would both, a couple days after this argument, we both have just, ah, uh, terrible shoulder pain, uh, which is awful for us because we do a lot of exercise. And so if we know that there was not an injury, we know that there was not anything else going on, this shoulder pain is going to be there for a couple of days because it's a restoration process. So this, the tissue of the shoulder, the soft tissue surrounding the joint of the shoulder is eroded during conflict activity. There are tiny erosions in the area and then there's restoration of tissue. And the purpose of that is so that it's stronger afterwards. After the conflict has been resolved, there's this strengthening, this restoration of tissue that is designed to reinforce and strengthen you post-conflict. And so the, there's two things to me that are really interesting about this personal experience. The first thing is this, this, this happened to me before I knew it was supposed to. Yeah. And, and that for me, because I'm a big like confirmation bias person, because I, basically when I'm working with people and creating the kind of life that they want, thinking the kind of thoughts they want to think, believe in the kind of things they want, I am constantly encouraging people to use confirmation bias. I, mean, well, I don't necessarily use those terms, but it's like you know your brain is this really powerful goal-seeking mechanism. And if you're looking for shoulder pain after arguments, you're probably going to find it. You know what I'm saying? Like you, we, you, you, your mind and your body are pretty cooperative with each other, and that's independent of the whole GNM stuff. However, I didn't know that my shoulder was supposed to hurt after. I didn't. I was not familiar with that correlation. That was not something that I knew. And I noticed that it would happen. And it, I noticed my personal, like I it would experience it in the car when, when driving in particular. It was just kind of an irritating sort of, um, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it. I would say that it is, and this is the other element of it, because you, you mentioned the exercise. It has. It, it's not anything like the shoulder pains and discomforts that are occasionally, for me, associated with exercise. Tightness of the anterior deltoid or of the pec, the chest muscle in the front. Things that happen when I don't stress or stretch sufficiently. Biceps tendon kind of uh, um, sensitivity. Those are ex those are very distinct and they're they're completely different from this. And those are things that will happen for me once in a while when I'm not doing like my mobility stretching stuff. This is different. This is more for me on the back of the shoulder. It's where the shoulder blade is for me is where I kind of feel it. And I would describe it as deep and diffuse. It's deep in the tissue and it's not in any one place in particular. And I don't, what I find myself doing a lot when, when this happens, and luckily it doesn't happen very often, is I'm just wiggling my shoulder around and I'm tensing the muscles. I'm tensing my latissimus, the, the big back muscle. I'm like pulling my shoulder blade down and back and I'm kind of like wiggling it around. I have, I'm, I'm always like constantly just kind of trying to find a comfortable position and I can't find one. It's not a pain that you avoid doing certain things because it hurts. It's a kind of almost like an itching. It's not an itch, but it's it's an, an aggravating kind of, again, it's that diffuse feeling. And I, it's almost like I'm trying to work it out. It's almost like there's something in there that like I need to just kind of um, move around enough to kind of massage away or kind of, and, and I don't ever feel that anytime now. I, I, re I realize this other than when we've had these, these mm -hmm. disagreements and it's always, and this is the interesting thing, it's always a day or two later. 
it's not an increase in tension. It's not that I get really tense when these things happen. It it, it it's it, when it's been resolved, and we'll be driving on the you know having a happy drive back from the grocery store or something like that, and I'm just thinking, man, my shoulders really feeling kind of <laughs> it's feeling antsy, it's feeling mm-hmm. irritated, um, and it always clears up by itself. And it was just such an interesting thing, the fact for me that it happened before I knew I was supposed to have shoulder pain after a fight. And the other thing was that the unique quality and character of it, and the and the fact that it that when you've got a mechanical injury, it tends to be sharp and it tends to be distinct. It tends to, oh, you know, when I do this, it hurts, or when I reach this way, and you avoid doing that thing. This is different. This is not sharp. It's I, again, I would say, deep and diffuse is how I would describe it. Is that it? It feels uh, deep in my shoulder, but it doesn't feel. It feels like it's everywhere and nowhere in particular. Mm. Um, and that's very consistent with what you're talking about as a generalized kind of erosion of tissue, right? And we're talking about really small. We're talking about the body kind of getting ready to get ready to do something, right? Yeah? Um, and so it's not like a tear or an injury that's like this is a this is a Grand Canyon sized tear. We're talking about things that are the size of like you know the cracks in the ground that form when it gets really dry outside. You know what I mean? And the ground kind of splits open. It's like that. It's not like a big big opening or something that's going to take a long time. And and the funny thing about it is that that healing is generalized too. So we've got a hundred, a thousand, I don't know how many there will be little tiny erosions, not one break. I mean these are probably occurring at the level of like individual muscular bands, right? Like actually like really down small into like if you imagine a shirt, you know, being as like your muscle, it's like you snip one stitch. Well, if you snip one stitch in say, you know, 25 or 30 different places throughout a shirt, um, if that shirt had feelings, it would be feeling it. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the, the sleeve is ripped off. You know, it's like a muscle tear. It's like a number of little connective things have kind of been eroded, and then you've got to go back in there and sew them back up again. Yeah, that's interesting about uh, fibromyalgia, which is this, you just have pain all over, and they it's a very generalized kind of, uh, you know, junk drawer diagnosis because it's like, well, I just hurt all over. I've got what, 10 tender points and, you know, certain levels, they've got, you know, kind of arbitrary criteria to say, okay, well, now we you've got a name for this condition. It's called fibromyalgia, which is just this generalized just pain all over the body. Sounded better than you hurt and we don't know why. Yeah. And and it's devaluate, a self-devaluation conflict, generalized. So this has something more to do with that person's entire experience of life you know, mm-hmm. probably was one situation. But then the interesting thing about chronic pain is that you, when you don't know the law of two phases, when you don't know the five biological laws and understand when you're in pain, that signifies healing. And so that's the thing, that's the cool thing about knowing this about the shoulder issue now, where before you're like, why does my shoulder hurt? Now I, you know, I'm upset. I can't do these things I want to do. The shoulder pain is holding me back. I'm not, you know, and and I don't know where it's coming from. And so now I feel like I need to go have, you know, a scan done, have someone look inside my shoulder because I'm having these this regular shoulder pain for a person who say it happens pretty frequently. So if they have a, an MRI, which is a very dangerous thing to do because anytime you have a test done that costs that much, they got to find something, right? And that the interesting thing about the, about the fibromyalgia to me is that, and this is, you even see this like in medication commercials and stuff, that people, a lot of the time, I mean, historically, there's been kind of a stigma around it because of the fact that there's no obvious physical trauma, there's no obvious neurological problem. Um, you talk about self-devaluation. I heard all the time, and I have a sneaking suspicion that my doctor and everyone in my life thinks I'm just making it up. And so I'm not only am I not able to do things, but I'm also, and, and not only am I in you know constant pain and discomfort, um, people around me can't look at me and see that I have something wrong. You know, they, 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 there's there's this sensation that I'm not, and then you start wondering, am I just making this up? Is this all in my head? I mean, is it possible that it could be all in my head and feel as bad as it does? You know, and all that different stuff. And so that's a really interesting thing is that to think that an individual could could be in some kind of um, extreme self or generalized self-devaluation about whatever was going on in their life. I mean, they didn't devalue themselves initially because of fibromyalgia. There's something that happened first. And oh, and that, and that's an interesting thing, too. They themselves are um, predisposed to self-devaluation. Um, they are probably, uh, you know, it, it, generally speaking, people who are predisposed to self-devaluation, um, unfortunately, at least sometimes, will surround themselves by people who are helpful in that self-devaluation. And so they're predisposed to self-devaluation. The people around them, to some degree or another, at least assist them or don't interfere with their self-devaluation. And then they have a mystery disease, right, that is sort of, you know, um, 
comparatively dubious, let's say, in the minds of some people. And so they're devalued because of whatever happened before. They're now devalued because just they're not able to do things they really want to do. And they're devalued because they have a, a in perhaps in some people's minds, less than legitimate illness. I mean, good grief. It's just kind of like a, it's like a cascade of things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's how you can stay in that loop of, of chronic pain because you don't understand that the pain, if you were to get through it, if you were to truly resolve the initial conflict, whatever the initial self-devaluation conflict was, then your body would have this period of pain. The reason for the pain is because your body wants to immobilize you so you're resting so that it can do the restoration process because it is taxing on the body. Again, depending on the intensity and the duration of the conflict, there's a lot of tissue involved and that means there's going to be a lot of widespread swelling and pain and discomfort. And so depending on how long your healing phase is without any conflict relapses, if if you got through it that that first time and you did it with awareness, you could prevent, you know, you could stop the cycle. But it's unfortunate because people don't understand that there is a cycle of two phases. There's a conflict, then there's healing, restoration of tissue because pain is scary. We get scared when we're in pain. And especially like you said, if you've got this diagnosis, you are devaluing yourself probably because of a diagnosis, because of the pain itself, because of your self-image, because of the people around you, you're not able to do the things you want to do. I mean, it makes perfect sense that you would kind of be in this in this negative feedback loop of continually having phases of conflict activity and then healing and conflict activity and then healing. And you stay in the healing phase and then you try to, you know, take medication to cover up the pain. A lot of times the medications, what they do is they biologically put you back into conflict activity and so you have less pain when you're taking them. But if you ever try to get off of them, which, you know, then we go into the opioid crisis and people being stuck in this, like this impossible position between feeling horrible, widespread pain all over their body, unable to be touched by the people they love or do the things that they want to do and and taking a medication that's highly addictive and leads you down, you know, a, a dark and scary path to, you know, what what comes after opioid addiction, you know? Well, I mean, I mean, probably a hefty amount of self-devaluation. Exactly. I mean, if, you, if you're further incapacitated, if you think you are addicted to something, if you find yourself in the position of procuring things illegally because you're so addicted to it and you can't get it anymore, I mean, it sounds like a whole lot of self-devaluation. It sounds like a soup of self-devaluation, sort of a downward spiral kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and so it's about um, realization, awareness, breaking the pattern, becoming aware of the pattern, how it's ap- operating in your life. And so that's, you know, that's the, the main thing is to learn, learn about German new medicine, learn the five biological laws. Okay, what what is this saying? And then let's connect it to, let's connect it to the dots of your life. Okay, so I've connected it to the dots of my life. I've got a self-devaluation conflict. My body's responding in this way. Now what? Hmm. And that's where the work that um, Stephen and I do with people is this getting into the aspects of your perception. What is it that goes into you having an experience of self-devaluation? What is the anatomy of this conflict? What keeps it alive? What keeps it active in your experience of what it's like to be you? And and so that's the the one-on-one work we do with people, the coursework we do with people. And that's the amazing connection that, you know, I, I realized when Steve thought I was just dabbling in this thing and I started to realize, well, no, this is actually the 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 course that we were teaching already to people is the answer it's the it's the answer to prevention is for an individual to understand all of the components of their personal individual unique experience of life of relationships of problems of things that happen and you getting to know yourself and when you know yourself and you understand how you're responding and you're aware of your thoughts and your emotions and your emotional threshold and what you can handle and what you can't handle and what presses your buttons and what triggers you and you know that understanding those patterns and being an expert in what it's like to be you that's how you resolve conflicts. That's how you eliminate these these patterns from your life. And then, yes, there's a period of getting through the symptoms of healing, but the symptoms of healing turn into kind of this this joy, this knowing. I mean, it's it's not comfortable, but when you know that there's an endpoint, when you know the body's got a plan, when you know it's not an error, it's not a mess up, it's not a mistake, that there's a process, there's a plan, there was tissue adaptation, and 
there's always tissue healing after tissue adaptation. And when you think of it like that, not that you're being attacked or, you know, punished or hurt or, you know, there's some kind of mysterious thing taking over your body trying to trying to kill you when you understand my body's got this. It knows what it's doing. It's just responding. It's doing the very best that it can to keep me alive. And now I'm just, I've got to get through these healing symptoms. And so it's a really, really cool and interesting thing. And when you make those connections in your own life, then it becomes real to you. It doesn't just become some crazy, you know, crackpot theory someone on the internet's talking about. It becomes, oh, this is how my body works. And that's why I love GNM. And that's why, you know, we're doing the podcasts and the YouTube channel and putting stuff out there because I feel like every individual deserves to know the five biological laws. They just, they live in a body, they're having an experience, their body is responding to their experience, they're just not aware of that intimate connection. And so please, if you know someone that needs this information, share the podcast, um, get them, you know, hooked up with the YouTube video, the GNM 101 is a great place to start just to get the basics. And yeah, keep tuning in. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you are an iTunes, iTunes user. Um, you can contact me at drmelissacell.com, drmelissacell.com. You can also email me if you have any questions, drmelissacell at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening.